Don't you take your Bibles, turn with me to, go ahead and say it, Philippians chapter 4, you got it, Philippians chapter 4, tonight we're going to talk about money, I'm not after yours, I got plenty, we're going to talk about money and happiness, money and happiness, if you've never heard it, you need to hear it, now, question we talked about this before we're studying the book of Philippians what is the theme and the message of the book of Philippians joy joy and true happiness why would there be so much about money in the book about happiness let's connect the dots here dear ones you say you gonna tell me money gonna make me happy let's find out what it says what's the one thing all of us deal with some of us deal with midlife crises too late for me some of us deal with different things. What's the one thing everybody, the only one thing that all of us touch in common? Money. It's the one thing all of us have in common. It's one thing all of us have to have. It's the only thing that connects the whole culture is the need for money or the economy. And so this is, this is an area that covers everybody here. Right, here's what happens. We, if you're here tonight, you've probably decided to follow Jesus. If you haven't, you've got about 45 minutes to make up your mind. All right. If you've decided, we decide to follow Jesus. We're going to, we hear Jesus say, follow me. We believe he's real. So we decide to start following him. And we're going to be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. However you like, whatever you term you use. The Bible says the first thing you have to do after you begin to follow Jesus, get a new heart. You have to start thinking differently about things in life. Everything. That's why it says in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 12, it says this. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and think differently. You can't think like, that's what it means. Don't be conformed to this world in your thinking anymore. You've got to stop thinking like everybody else thinks about everything. And you want to start thinking differently about everything in life. Relationships, the reason for living, and that includes money. And you, you say, well, why do I have to, if I'm saved, why do I have to start thinking different about everything? Well, let me finish the verse. Be renewed in your mind, renewed in the spirit of your thinking, that you might experience the perfect plan of God for your life. To find God's best, you've got to start thinking different. If you've got a new heart and you're born again, but you've got an old pagan carnal head, you're going to stumble all through life. You'll stumble into heaven, but you'll stumble in bruised. We want to change the way we think so we can find the best life possible. Simply what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Now that means I've got to change the way I think about money. And believers need to change the way they think about money because what our society believes and thinks about money and what God's people think about money, the way they think about it should be two entirely different things. Got me? So we're going to look tonight at the way we change the way we think about money. And uh, let, me, let me tell you, what, uh, uh, we have a carnal attitude or worldly attitude about money, which is usually to worship it and love it. But we need a kingdom attitude about money. Because it affects so much of our lives. Listen, your attitude toward money is not just about paying your bills. It affects every area of your life. The way you think about money affects every area of your life. I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 4. And this is a, a pretty good uh, several verse passage about money and our attitudes toward money. And I want you to see, he starts right off the bat, he says this. He's writing to the church at Philippi, verse 10, Philippians 4.10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you did care about me, but you lacked opportunity. What does he mean there? You've started sending me money on a monthly basis. He's, a, he's, a, he's an itinerant evangelist. He has no, no uh, board supporting him. So he 
uh, he was supported by the gifts of his friends. At one time he worked a job, remember he's a tent maker, but now he's traveling on his own. And this church, he said, I appreciate the money you sent me. He said, uh, I know there was a time when you really wanted to help me, but you couldn't. But now you've started mailing me money again. I'm cutting to the chase. You've started supporting me financially again, and I'm really thankful for it. Now, he, he's going to say something in two verses here that is the essence of our attitude toward money. I want you to read to me in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. I don't need your money. I have learned, look at the word learned, in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment. What's the one thing our land struggles with today? True contentment. Uh, let me give you some other words for contentment. Heart satisfaction. What's the most famous word for contentment? True happiness. He said, I have learned no matter what my circumstances are, I am happy, I am content, and I'm satisfied right where I'm at. No matter what my bank account says. Now, is this natural for a person to be like this? No. Let me tell you, I know it's not natural. What did he say? He said, I, have, I had to learn how to do this. I had to learn to reach a place in my life where I don't need anything else. And my heart is totally content. But he said, I've learned in every circumstance, I've learned how to be content. I want you to uh, look with me in the next verse. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. You, you got that? I know what it's like not to have two nickels rubbed together, and I know what it's like to have a lot of money in my hands. I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be rich. And then he said this, Everywhere and in all things I have learned. There he says it again. I had learned this. I've learned how to be full, and I've learned how to be hungry. I've learned how to abandon. I've learned how to have nothing to buy dinner with. What is he right here? What's the, what is the glaring, glaring, obvious truth that just shoots the American dream all to pieces? You don't need money to be content. You don't have to have a bunch of stuff to be content. Now, if you got it, praise God. But you're not content because you got money. Can you see that? And if you don't have it, you can be happy as a bug in a rug. What's the Ameri what is the American mantra today? When I'm rich, I'll be happy. When I get a little bit more, everything will be okay. Can you not see God's word? Just shoot that lie all to pieces. He said, I have, he said, I don't need, he said, thank you for sending me the money, but I don't need it. If I didn't have anything, I'd be perfectly content. Happy as I can be. Well, dear ones, obviously if God's word written to you and me today, it talks about learning to get to this place in life. We need to learn to get to this place in life. We can find this kind of great contentment. It's uh, I don't know if you knew this. Now, let me teach you something. You have two natures inside of you. We all knew that I, my flesh wars against my spirit. I, the nature of God is inside of me. The very heart of God is inside of me. I delight in the law of God, my inner man. I want to be like Jesus. But there's another something in there. It's called my carnal nature. The Bible also calls it my base nature. You can call it whatever you want to, the ugly side of brown. I don't care what you call it. But it's in there. Let me tell you something about your carnal nature. It is always wanting more and it's never satisfied. Sex. Fame, money, beer, name it. Trucks, <laughs> it don't matter. There's a carnal nature in humanity that can never be happy. Uh, the, uh, a great prophet years ago wrote a hymn about this and it goes, I can't get no satisfaction. Man, that should be the, we should make that our new national anthem. If ever, I know he, I know he was probably on high when he, high when he wrote it, but Bottom line is, that is the cry of the discontent soul. 
Uh, let me ask you a question. If Mick, who just turned 80 years old, in case you're feeling young, is a multi-cajillionaire known all over the world and has had more women than Carter's got liver pills, if he's got everything everybody's supposed to find happiness, and by the way, I saw an interview a couple years with him, he's, he's miserable, not content yet. How can you have everything supposed to make you happy and still not be happy? Got a feeling it ain't got to do with the money and the chicks. Can I get a witness? He's, <laughs> we have a carnal. I want you to listen to, the, to a verse in the Bible. I love this verse, sort of a strange verse, but it talks about the base nature that can never find contentment. Listen to it. The leech, you know what a leech is? The leech has two daughters always crying, give, give, but it is never satisfied. It can never get enough. That's the base nature of humanity that can never, it can't get no satisfaction. Here, here's, I'm going to give you the great lie. Here's what Satan's voice will sound like. If you ever heard it, here's, in case you've never heard it, if you ever hear this, this is him right here. Just a little bit more and you'll find what you're looking for. If I just had a bigger house, if I could just get that new car, if I could just get that new job, if I could just get that a, a husband who, a new husband who understood me. We can forget that. God ain't made one yet. If, if that, the girl I dated in high school, that is the voice of the devil. And, and his constant message is just a little bit more and you'd be content. That is hell's lie. If I just, by the way, the second Timothy three, seven says this term in the latter days, People who are always searching but never finding truth that they're looking for. Our nation, our land's on a resentless toy. And what you end up with is, uh, you, um, as a man wrote a book one time, said, I lean, I got to the top of my ladder. Isn't that what we all want to do? Get to the top of our ladder? And found out I leaned it on the wrong wall. And you, you go from accomplishment to accomplishment, from disappointment to disappointment, Cheap, loveless sex, thrill to thrill, hide to hide, religious experience, even to religious experience, and your heart just goes, that, that ain't it. That ain't it. And it, it doesn't matter. Listen, how much money does it take to make a person happy? Orig America's original rich man, Mr. Rockefeller, he was asked one day, how many millions does it take to make a man happy? You remember his famous answer? One more. Guess what? When he got one more, it took one more. Listen, money's like crack. There's a little buzz to it, but it'll never, it'll never satisfy you. So relationships, uh, one, I'm going to tell you one of this, this is Satan's, this is such a sad deception on our land and in people. I feel so sorry for it. I'm going to give you one of the great deceptions that if I could just get this, I'd be happy. I have a friend named Walt Heyer. Walt sort of, uh, he's the man they call on on the news channels when they do an interview on transsexuality and things like that. He, he's sort of the Christian expert on it. He's written, he wrote a book called Paper Gender. He used to attend our church here. Walt's a wonderful guy. And Walt was a guy who, uh, his grandma really screwed him up bad. I'm just going to show you how the enemy works in people's heads. His grandma screwed him up. She kept him. And as just a little, little bitty boy, she, when nobody knew it, she would dress him up in dresses and tell him what a pretty little girl you would make and let him play in dresses as a little girl. Of course, she said, don't tell your mom and daddy. This is our secret. And that got in his head, and the enemy got in his head through that. Of course, Walt Griffith is very smart. I went to college, uh, got married, had a family, 
very successful, became an executive with Honda Motor Company. But that thing was always planted in his mind back there. I'm a woman in a man's body. He said, if I could just be a woman, I'd be happy. And he said he was successful at work, had a great wife, uh, did good in his church. But that thing was in there. If I, could, if I were a woman, I'd find true happiness. That is not the voice of God. And well, you know, he began to do some crazy things secretly. And finally, he just he threw it all away to risk to find what would really make him happy. He had, he had non-reversible surgery, left his wife and children, became a woman. Horm I mean, had the hormone, everything. I saw a picture of him. He's one of the few uh, man become a woman that was good looking that I ever met. I mean, he was, he was a beautiful woman. And he said, let me tell you what happened to me. And he said, this is the story. This is why I'm in this ministry. This is the story of 80 plus percent. He said, after about six months, I looked in the mirror one day and said, you've been lied to. You're no happier now. And you've ruined everything. I'm telling you, Satan is a liar. He will promise you if you just had this. And the problem is when you get it, he'll stand there and laugh at you and say, if you call him a liar, he'll say, yeah, some famous man called me that one time. And that's why Walt's in the ministry. It, he's not critical. I'm not critical. He's, I have nothing but heaviness of heart for people who've been screwed up by the enemy trying to find happiness. And we should have nothing but sympathy for people who've been abused or, or whatever. I, the, uh, the, the women I've talked to that have gone into prostitution, do you really think they went into that because they love sex? Really? I've asked several of them, do you really like sex? Guess what the answer always is? Not even close. So usually it goes back to childhood abuse and they end up in a mess. It's just the lie of the devil that you will find happiness here. The prostitutes don't chase sex for sex. They chase it for money and then they're miserable. We, we have believed the lie that this is where my happiness lies. Contentment, soul contentment. It's just not true. And it's a sad deception. Uh, now, let me ask you a question from, from Scripture. And don't, don't play religious games with me. I've had about all the religion I need for a lifetime. Can the heart really find true contentment? Can the human heart really find fulfillment? Can there be true happiness on this planet? Or do I have to wait till I set foot on a new shore? I hope the answer is yes. I think it is if I've read the Bible right. I'll, I'll never forget years ago. And you know how I love to stab religion because I believe religion is the biggest ripoff in human history. It substituted the gold of the voice of God and knowing God personally for the garbage of somebody's stupid rules. That's a pretty good quote right there. <laughs> I'll never forget reading years ago. I just read a quote and it's always stuck with me. I don't know who said it. Might have been somebody famous. Might have been me. I don't know. The human soul will always be restless until it finds its rest in God. There's a heart inside of here. You've got one inside of you. Not your head, your heart. And this thing is looking for something. Uh, another famous hymn years ago, looking for love in all the wrong places. Th listen to me, listen to me. Don't fuss at people for doing what they do. People are going to eat somewhere. Everybody's looking for something. This heart is looking for something. You know why we can't just be like my horses? What's the difference between me and my horse? We're getting about the same size if I keep eating. The difference between me and my horse is they don't have a soul. 
They don't have a heart. They're perfectly content to get up every morning, walk out, eat all day, walk back in, poop in a little small stall when they got 20 acres out here. <laughs> all they have to do is just eat, exist. They're perfectly content. That's it. Why can't people just eat, poop, and be content? <laughs> what is it about us that we just... What's this heart doing in here? This soul is looking for something. The restless soul is looking for something. So we try to find it in, you know, relationships, thrills, job ventures, money. Money's the big one. Here's the problem. We have yet to identify what our hearts are really looking for. Guess where you might find the answer? I'm going to quote it to you. It's just so simple. Here it is. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for God. My soul longs for God, for the living God, not dead religion, the living God. When will I get to appear before the living God? And that, that's not just a man writing a song. That is the great revelation of God Almighty. I created your heart and I'm the only one that can satisfy it. I created your soul. If you hunger for something, I'm it. Fellowship with God. His presence is the only thing that can fill the hole in the human soul. You can try to stick money in it. I, I, name whatever your thing is. I, I don't care. You know, crossbreeding pumpkins, I, whatever. <laughs> My soul longs for God. That's it. That's what the human soul always longs for. And... Uh, We've, we've, the great substitute for God in the enemy's camp, primarily in this nation and across the globe, is money. So you try to stick money in a hole that's designed for God, and it, it'll just never work. Um, dear ones, you've heard that money can make you happy. If money can make people happy, the United States ought to be delirious. Unhappiness is at an all-time high in this nation right now. We've never had more money. We've never been unhappier. Explain that to me. I think we might have hitched our wagon to the wrong pony. What thinkest thou? All right, you're going to chase, you can, you're going to chase something. Everybody's going to chase something at heart level. And uh, if you chase the wrong thing, not, here, here's, let me tell you something about money. Not only will you not find what you're looking for, you're going to get hurt in the chase. Let me show that to you. First Corinthians, excuse me, First. Uh, Timothy 6 is the great passage on money. I know you heard your grandma say this before, probably. 1 Timothy 6 is the great passage on uh, the war. This is the warning. You know, like when my kids started driving, I'd tell them, drive the speed limit, wear your seatbelt, do not drive drunk. I mean, you know, do not drive drunk is a good thing to tell a 16 year old. Okay, you're mad at me. You're mad at me, aren't you? You're mad at me. You think I'm a fun sucker. And you think I'm just trying to keep them having any fun, ain't it? You think that's what it is? <laughs> How many of you know if I tell a 16-year-old, do not drive drunk, I am not trying to suck the fun out of their life? Tell me what I'm trying to do. Keep them alive. Is that meanness or is that love? All right, when my father tells me, do not chase money, son, he's not sucking the fun out of my life. When he tells me, do not go in debt and pay more for that pickup truck than your grandma paid for the whole farm. 
He ain't ripping me off. He's saving my hide. Let me make an announcement. God is good. He got your best interest at heart. Here's the great passage, 1 Timothy 6. Verse 6 says this. I want you to learn from this verse. Godliness with contentment is great. You want to know what great is? A bigger house is not great. A new husband's not great. I want you to look at three words in that passage. God, contentment, great. Where do you find your contentment in? You find your contentment in God and you will have a great life. There it is. God makes people content and that's great. Bottom line, on and on. And it doesn't get old and it's not... <laughs> that new thing you're going to buy going to be on blocks where you get the last payment made. He lasts forever. I mean, if I were to ask you this question, I want, you're going to see it in Scripture. What would it take to really make you happy? You know what I'm thinking about, don't you? I've had folks in my churches in the past, I wanted to ask them so bad, what would it take to make you happy? I've had people come for counseling. I wanted to say to the man, just ask her what it'll take to make her happy. God have mercy. I want to ask you a simple question. If you were to ask God Almighty, what do I really have to have to find true contentment, happiness, whatever you want to call it? He would say, you need three things. And here they are. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 6. See if you agree with verse 7. We brought nothing into this world and you ain't taking nothing out. Next time you're at the funeral home, go out and look at the hearse. See if there's a bumper hitch on it. <laughs> they ain't caring but nothing but you to that hole. Here it is, verse 8. Having food and clothing with these, we will be content. Tell me the three things you have to have to be content. Basic food, not even gourmet food. Basic food, clothes to cover you up, not silk threads. Basic food, clothes, and God. And you can find your total contentment. You'll find something in those three things that you'll never find anywhere else. You say, Brother Ben, I don't understand it. It's okay not to understand it. It's okay to understand not yet how to do it. I just want you to believe God tells the truth. That He is the source of all heart contentment. That it's there and you can find everything else in there. Now, I know, okay, I made you nervous there, didn't I? You're afraid that God's going to reduce you to down, down to bologna sandwiches and blue jeans and that's it. And for years, this demon perverted religious spirit had this thing that, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to be poor and pitiful. God have mercy. Where do you think David got all his nice threads from? All right, no, no. Let me tell you, remember there's a big difference between what I really need and a bunch of junk that might be okay. I've even heard preachers say this because they don't know the Bible. God never promised to meet you once. He did promise to meet you needs. You ever heard that? They're lying. That's not what the Bible says. What you going to do is delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Let me tell you something. I, don't, I ain't be... I, I'm not telling you a lie. It's not a good night for me, is it? I'm telling you the truth. You're looking at a man who has found contentment. And, and it's, I promise you, not because of my job. I knew, I saw somewhere long ago, God can satisfy the human soul completely. And, and if I had nothing but food, now I got a whole lot more than that, but if I had nothing but blue jeans and well, I don't care if it's cheap. Just make it good. Something to eat. I, I could sit in a corner and be content the rest of my life. Perfectly fine. However, in his great kindness, look at verse 17. 
Command those who are rich in this present age. Let's just stop right there. How many of the, is that y'all? Do you have a home and an automobile and one radio? You're in the top 5% of the world's wealth. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be cocky. Don't trust in your riches, but in the living God, watch these words, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He don't mind blessing the fire out of his kids with nice stuff, but if you start looking to the stuff for contentment, you're going to be in trouble. He gave you stuff not to worship, not to satisfy you. For you. What's the word it says? He gives you stuff to enjoy. Now, somebody got on me one time because I said I own three boats. Well, I'm humble again. I only own one now. I'm down to one so I can be a preacher again. I'm be a good Christian. I ain't got one boat. And it ain't high dollar. And they thought that's terrible. That's, you know, a preacher shouldn't brag about it. I'm bragging about it. I just mentioned it, that a preacher shouldn't have three boats. What, what are you going to do? Buy a canoe and paddle across the world? What am I going to do? Where's this mindset come from? God gives us stuff to enjoy, and I'm grateful. We got a beautiful home. I never dreamed I'd live in such a nice home. It's not a mansion, and I do not wear $5,000 tennis shoes. Don't fuss at me. God's blessed the fire out of me, and he gave me all that for one reason. I don't deserve it. He just wanted me to enjoy it. I gave my son something one time. My wife said, he's got three of them. I said, I want him to enjoy this one. You got it? I just need to be covered and fed to find true happiness. All the rest of it's a bonus. But I don't live for the bonus. And by the way, he will give you a bunch of stuff to enjoy. He's good. But let me say this. Without God in the mix, I don't care what you got. Do I need to sit up here and tell you the story after story after story I've told of men I've known in my 40 years who went to, from rags to riches to misery? Now listen, without God, I don't care what you got. And nothing more sad than a miserable millionaire. <laughs> and buddy, I've met him. Because listen, the bottom line is without God, everything else is dissatisfied. Who's the world's wealthiest man ever in world history? Does anybody know? Solomon. In comparative dollars, he's the world's wealthiest man. He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. Here's the theme of the book. I am a fool. The theme of the book is an old fool who bought everything money can buy and found no happiness in any of it. Because if you all remember this, he's also the world's wisest man at one time. He wrote a book as a young man about wild, passionate, romantic love that Baptists refused to read called the Song of Solomon. He wrote a book about wisdom in his middle age called Proverbs, and it is the wisdom of the ages. But somewhere between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which he wrote as an old man, he left God and began to worship and love money. And Ecclesiastes is a book about the sadness of loving stuff and thinking it can make you happy. Subtitled, The Lonely Wine of the Top Dog. All right, look with me. He said, Brother Brown, why come you're so against wealth? I'm not against wealth. I'm against you trying to use it for the wrong reason. Can't fill the hole in your soul. Here's one of the loving warnings of, of our father about wealth. See if you've heard this before. Verse 9. Those who desire to be rich, just stop right there. What's our nation full of right now? I said, Brother, I, thought, I, I don't want to be rich. I just want a little bit more. Need I take you back to the world's first rich, our, our nation's first rich man when he said, I got to have just a little bit more. Those who have a desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. What does destruction mean? It ruins your life here. What's perdition mean? It takes you to hell. Perdition is eternal hell. Tell me what pursuing wealth does to a person. Chasing wealth too much. 
It'll destroy your life. Have you ever heard verse 10? See if you ever heard your grandma say this. The love of money is a root. Some of you Bible say the, is the root of all kinds of evil or all evil. First time I ever read that, I'm a brand new Christian. And I was told, read the books of Timothy. They're for young Christians. And I came across that and I read, and I had the old King James at the time, and it said, the love of money is the root of all evil. And I just thought, hmm, I don't believe that. It's back before I knew who wrote this book. I believe everything in it now. But dear ones, there's a great truth right here. What is the root of the evil in this earth? Not money. Listen, money's not a root. What's the, what's the root? Not money. Don't look at the word money. Look at the word love. The love of money is the root of all evil. I'm going to ask you a spiritual question. See if you can get it. See if you've got a prophetic heart. Tell me the greatest problem in our nation right now. You say, Brother Brown, we've got problems with racism. We've got political problems. We've got problems with inequity. We've got problems with the COVID. The number one problem in this nation is the love of money. The ruling spirit over this nation's name is greed. The Bible says that greed is the root of all problems. I never understood this thing completely. One day I'm just praying and reading over the Ten Commandments years ago as a young man. And I thought, uh, dear sir, the first nine make sense to me. I don't understand the tenth one. How many of y'all, thou shalt not murder, makes sense? Hard to have a civil society when everybody's killing each other, isn't it? How many of you know thou shalt not steal? That makes sense, doesn't it? How can you have a, a society civil if we're all stealing from each other? Thou shalt not trade old ladies. That, that makes sense. Oh, it don't? How can you have sane families in a society if everybody's whose bed have your boots been under? We got to get off this mess. They all make sense to me except the last one. Quit wishing you got what your neighbor's got. Thou shalt not cover your neighbor's pickup truck, his lawnmower, his boats. Quit wishing you had what your neighbor's got. What's the American industry built on? Getting you to wish you had what somebody up the road's got. That's the 10th commandment. All right, let's listen to me. You say, I think God's being mean. I think he just don't want me to have nothing. no. What happens in a culture when everybody starts wishing they had what everybody else has got? You're looking at it right now. The political fallout you saw recently is rooted in the 10th commandment and the breaking of the 10th commandment. That's why greed is the most dangerous thing on this planet. That's why the Bible says the love and the desire for money is the root. It's the tap root of all evil. You know what the root of the drug business in America is? It's not drugs. What is it? It's money. What's the root of the, the pornography industry is multi-zillion dollars. It's corrupting the nation right now. It's destroying families. What's the root of it? Not sex. Money. It was, if you keep digging through the layers, you'll find out right there's the root. And the love of money is the root of all evil. So if my heavenly father tells me something, he tells me this. He said, son, starting to love and chase money because you love it is the root of all evil. Guess what I'm going to do with the love of money? I'm going to stay about as far away from it as I would a rattlesnake that's been pissed off for daylight. I'm going to say that. <laughs> I'm going to treat greed like I would a rattlesnake in the sleeping bag. Are you with me? Why would I hug a rattlesnake and call it beautiful? All right. You say, you're being a little stern tonight. I'm trying to help you. I'm going to give the devil credit. He keeps tripping smart people up over the same thing day after day after day. 
He keeps blasting our nation. Verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some having strayed from the faith and their greed, greediness, watch these words, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. One thing for somebody else to pierce you, when you pierce yourself, that's done with a big D, isn't it? All right, so the warning there is, is quit chasing money. All right, now here, the question though is, and this is a good question, it makes sense. If, uh, if, if I quit chasing money, well, how will my bills get paid? Hey, that's a good question, because all of us need it. See, th this is why getting off cocaine is so easy. You, you don't cut cocaine, cocaine down from four a day to twice a day. You quit. Y'all knew that, didn't you? This is why you don't quit running around and whoring around. You don't, you don't back off on it slowly. <laughs> you quit. But dear ones, if you're going to be free from the love of money, you've still got to handle something that's dangerous every day. That's why this is one of the toughest ones to deal with. I, this, do you believe what the Bible says that that when we, uh, if we desire to be rich and we pursue wealth, that we'll hurt ourselves. You believe that? I'm not going to bore you with the stories. I'm going to tell you one. I'm a 12-year-old boy. A family moves in up the road from our house. Uh, they're a young family, just been married three years, I think. They had two little babies already, and they were the most wonderful people. My mama was friends, became friends with the lady, and he was an aspiring young businessman. He just had a little small house, about 1,100 feet. And he was starting out and he was going to open, wanted to be a businessman and he borrowed some money. And he, he was the most charismatic, exciting person I'd ever, he came in the room, it lit up. And I mean, he wasn't, he was gracious to people. He wasn't a takeover guy. He just had the greatest personality I'd ever seen. I mean, he just wanted to be around him. And he called me up every day. He said, I want, I want to hire you. He said, I, I'm, I'm busy. He said, I want, I want you to work for me. He said, you can work around my house. I need my grass mowed, my car washed. You can shine my shit. I said, whenever I need something done, I just want to call you. Man, I'm a businessman, 12 years old. We'll enter a contract. We'll do that. So he hired me to be his houseboy. And I did that. I babysat their kids for him. And as I got older, I kept working for him. And of course, he very quickly, they, they moved about once a year and they moved up when they moved. I think by the time I was fifth, 16, when I started driving, I went to work for him full time. By then, he'd moved into a country estate and was one of the wealthiest men in the city of Charlotte. And business was just booming. And so I worked for him personally all through school. And then, of course, when I got out of high school, I left, went to college. So I didn't, I didn't work for him, didn't see him anymore. Years and years, I didn't see him anymore. But he, something happened as he started accumulating that wealth. It changed his personality. He loved God. He sang in the choir. He helped the church. But he began to change as he began to get rich. And I, even as a young man, I could see it happening to him. That thing captured him. God became very non-important in his life. And he began to pursue money and love money and make it. And I'll never forget about 15 years after I got out of college, I saw him, maybe 10, I saw him one day, ran into him in the parking lot and he called, called, he called me and I went over there. Last time I saw him, he was driving a green Rolls Royce, wearing a silk suit, smoking one of them Cuban hand-rolled cigars. He wasn't even the same man. And I walked away thinking, you are so disgusting. He talked about his old lady like I wouldn't talk about a dog. And all he wanted to do, all, more money, more projects, bigger projects. I'm the biggest this in the city. And it was pathetic. Ruined his family, lost his wife, lost his children, ended up being arrested, lost his health, died way before his time, sick and miserable. He was one of the best men I ever met. God gave that man a unique gift to help people and love people. But what got him? 
Those who pursue money will be snared and damage themselves. I can tell you that story after story after story. And it's almost like I can, I can watch them changing right before my eyes when I see it happening. But that, that spirit of, actually the name of that evil spirit is mammon. Filthy lucre. Greed. I see it get on people and I watch it take them from a great blessing and a great joy. And here's the end result of every one of them I've seen that happen to. Sheer misery. Misery. I see them end up on cocaine and alcoholics. And that's why the Bible warns about it now. <clears throat> well, Brother Brian, if I can't pursue the American dream and build a business and get rich, and there's nothing wrong with building a business. Gracious knows we need some business building in this land right now. If I can't pursue riches, what am I going to pursue? Because remember, this heart's going to chase something. So what am I going to go after? Let's read it. Verse 11. You, O man of God, flee these things. What's the word flee mean? Does anybody know what flee means? Ease out of it slowly. One of my favorite men in the Bible, he taught me a lot. Y'all remember Joseph? Went to work in Potiphar's house. Y'all remember Potiphar's old lady started hitting on him? Y'all remember that? She, day, the Bible said day after day, she said that she, was very, uh, she was very sneaky. She said, lie with me. And he would, he would say, I can't do this evil thing. And one day she caught him by the coat and she said, you're going to lie with me. Ain't nobody in the house today. And he said, let us bow our heads and pray. Not, let me make an announcement. This is time not to pray. Don't you dare close your eyes in front of a woman like that. <laughs> she said, lie with me. And you know what it was the Bible say? He ran out of the house and left his coat in her hands. Apparently she tore that coat off that boy. But you know what he did? He ran. Got him thrown in jail, saved his life. He fulfilled his destiny in God. All right, tell me what this is right here. You old man of God, do what? Run, run. I've seen my wife come up on a snake a time or two and she stood there and said, let me think about this. <laughs> Not, you need to treat, run from this. Run from this. When you see this on people, it starts to get on you, run from it. I'm bow hunting in the U.R. forest one day and I just enjoyed my life walking down a trail and I looked up, I, was, I had picked up my fat foot and I was fixing to put it down on a rattlesnake about five foot long, about as big as that right there. They say white men can't jump. But he, there's one went airborne that day. I shot that fool five times. I hope you're not a game board. I shot him five times with my pistol and then beat on him with a stick for a while. They know we're taking no chances on that. What does the Bible, listen to me careful. What does the Bible say right here? What everybody in this nation is running toward, you run from. If you love your soul and your family in your life. Run from it. All right, so, but now listen, I got to pursue something. Verse 11, you old man of God, flee these things. Watch this, but pursue. Now what does pursue mean? Don't chase money, chase something else. I, listen, we were not created to sit on our butts and eat cheeseburgers and wait for Jesus to get back. We were, we were created to go after something. We were created to pursue something. Even if you're old, you ought to still be chasing something. What are we to pursue? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. In other words, you pursue God himself. You go after Jesus. You want, you, walk, you want to love like Jesus loves and you want to experience the love of Jesus. Pursue love. You, you knew, uh, <clears throat> pursue love in God, but you know I'm going to throw it in. You know if we talk about money, I've got to throw my favorite proverb in. Are you ready? I'll give you the address later because a lot of people don't believe it's in there. Here it is. It's in Proverbs 15. Listen to this. 
Better to live in a 30-year-old rickety trailer. Eat tomato sandwiches out of your garden every night with a woman that truly loves you than to live in a million-dollar mansion, eat prime rib every night, and be stuck with a woman who's got the personality of a pit bulldog going through menopause. Talk to me. <laughs> 15, 17, Proverbs 15, 17. That was a slightly altered version, but you'll get it. What does the Bible say right here? What's it saying in Proverbs 15, 17? Money cannot buy you love. Even the Beatles, who are a bunch of crack addicts, they knew that. Dear ones, money and stuff cannot buy you what your heart's looking for. True love can. True love can. I think it, well, I like that better version. I like the newer version there. All right, well, I got to answer one question because we got to go. You say, well, Brother Brian, does this mean I shouldn't get up and go to work tomorrow? No. No, no, no Seinfeld. That's not what it means at all. If I can't pursue money, how am I going to pay my bills? Have I got a surprise for you if you follow the king? Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I hope you can believe this promise. We need to be able to believe all the promises. Everything he says, we need to believe it. And this is one of the greatest promises. This promise right here would take a load off you and mama and everybody else. All right, Luke chapter 12. This is God Almighty speaking. This is Jesus speaking to you through his word. Verse 22, we're going to read several verses here. And this is what he has, he's talking to you about money here. This is what Jesus has to say about money in your life, your bank account. He said to his disciples, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, your body, what you'll put on. What do he say right there? Quit worrying about your finances. Don't worry about your money. Don't worry about your finances. And then he asks a simple question or he makes a statement. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. How many of you believe that life is more than the stuff you own? Jesus said this. Not only did he say it's more. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. You're talking about knocking the American dream out. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he owns. My life is not made up of the farm we own, the truck I own, the one little small boat I own, <laughs> the cowboy boots out. That's not my life. That has nothing to do with my life. Take the farm away. Take the boots away. Don't take the boat away if it make you happy. I'm still me and still got everything important. He says, your life is not about your stuff. Don't let your life be about your stuff. Don't let it be about... If you've got a great big house, God bless you, but that's not your life. He said, life's more than this. Oh, you talk about good news here. Verse 24, look at the birds. Consider the raisins. Raisins. Ravens, I'm sorry. See, I got to talk about eating now. Ravens. Consider the ravens. And the Bible said this. Which of them, they neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses. They don't have barns. God feeds. What did he say? They don't work. They don't have a refrigerator. They don't have a deep freeze. They eat constantly. God feeds them. Here's one of the greatest truths in the Bible. How much more valuable are you than the birds? To who? Dear ones, you are far more valuable than all the birds of this world combined to your heavenly Father. If he feeds the birds, guess what? He's going to take care of you. Quit looking at your bank account. Go out there and look at the birds. I've watched them many. I love watching birds. I'm a bird-watching fool. And let me tell you what I've seen about several things I've observed watching birds. They're all fat. <laughs> the little hummingbird may be lean, but boy, most of them just fat. That's what God does for birds. They're fat. 
And you know what I've noticed? I have yet in my life, I've watched, I've watched eagles, crows, you name it. I've watched them all. I have yet to see one worried. I've never looked out on one of my rails, one of my feeders. That bird sitting out there with his legs folded with his head down on his wing going, I wonder how we're going to pay the bills. I've never seen it. He said, look at the birds. He said, I'll take care of them. I'll take care of you. He gives you another picture here. <clears throat> he said this, verse 26. I mean, I do love this. Verse 25, which of you by worrying can fix anything? If you're not able to do the least, why do you worry about anything else? Boy, you talk about a verse will set you free. Let's start practicing that. Verse 27, look at the flowers. Consider the lilies, how they grow, how they toil and spin. Not even Solomon was dressed like the flowers. I guess that tells you something about Solomon, doesn't it? Listen, so I don't know if you knew this or not. Solomon was the original. He was on the first cover of GQ. I mean, he was the original sharp dresser. He's known for it. He said, he said, but you know what? Not even Solomon was dressed up like the flowers. And then he said this, verse 28. God closed the grass, the word there should be flowers. No flower ever opens unless God opens it. He dresses the flowers and then he says this. I mean, it's just here today, they're going tomorrow. How much more will he clothe you? Did you just get a promise right there for God to meet your need? And, and how do I encourage myself in this? Just look at what he's done. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at what he's done. All right, don't, and don't, he said, and verse 29, don't, don't live for what you eat or drink. Do not pursue money and the things money can buy. And don't be worried about it, Doc. He said, quit worrying about money. Watch this, though. After all these things, the nations of the world seek after. How many of you would agree with that? How many of you know, know people that just live for stuff? They seek more stuff and more things. Your father knows you need these things. Verse 31, chase God, he'll pay you bills. Verse 31, you chase God, He'll take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You chase God and what he's doing in the earth, the love he's sharing, the great things he's doing in people's lives. You care for the people he wants you to care for. You get up and chase God every day, you'll never lack for money. Right there it is. I want to make an announcement. If you can't trust Luke 12, 31 to pay your bills, you can't trust John 3, 16 to get you into heaven. He who gave you John 3, 16 just agreed to pay your bills if you'll chase him. He'll do it. And this is one of the great promises. And, and let me make it another. Let me throw in one more. This is some more good news here. Not only that, he's glad to do it. That's the next verse, verse 32. Don't fear, little flock. It's your father's joy to give you what you need. The kingdom and your light bill paid. I mean, he, he likes it. I love giving, my, giving things to my children. He loves it more. Well, guess what happened right there? Guess what happened right there? I just lost all concern about finances for the rest of my life. Now, I've had people say to me, well, you, you've got a natural gift never to worry, especially about money. You don't understand the rest of us. My goal is to help you. And his goal is to pay you light bill. And he'll do it. And you can trust him. All righty. Turn back to Philippians 4. We've got to finish. We've got to finish real quick. Turn quick. Turn fast. You've got to get in here and go to work. Philippians chapter 4. All righty. I'm going to surprise you about a verse here, which we've, you've, you can quote this verse, but let me show you a twist on it. Let's finish this little passage we started in Philippians about where he says, I, I've learned, if I got money, I'm content. If I got God, if I'm rich, great. If I'm not rich, it don't matter because I've got the stuff that really brings me contentment. All right. Verse 12, he said this, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. 
I just, I've, everywhere and everything, I've learned how to be full and be hungry. I, I can do everything. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You ever heard that verse? It is in the context of your finances. It's couched right in the middle of a passage on finances and contentment. You know what he's saying? I don't need a new car. Nothing wrong with a new car. God bless you. Go buy you one if you own it. I don't need a new house. I, I don't need a new... Christ is everything my heart longs for. I'm perfectly content. Now, if he gives me a new car, a new house, and new, I like the wife I got. I don't want a new wife. And new, new thread, that's fine. I'm, I'm content. But you know what? If you gave me nothing except a little something to eat and something to cover up with, my soul is delirious. That's the promise of God. And it's wonderful. All right. A couple of surprises. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you did well that you shared in my distress. Thank you for the money you mailed me. You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving you. He said, you the only church supported me. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once. And you sent me two gifts when I was over there. Now, let's shift gears. How many of you ever given money to anything good? Never mind. All right. Let's shift. You say, yeah, you preachers always want money. Listen, I don't want your money. Let me show you a trick here. I mean, not a trick. Let me show you a blessing. I don't know where a trick came from. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. I'm not trying to get you money. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And have you knew you, does anybody have a bank account? I got a couple of them. I got an account with a savings. Yada, yada, I got all that stuff. Well, let me tell you something. According to God's word, you got one more account you didn't know about. What's he talking about? I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Let me make an announcement. You have a financial statement in heaven. You have an account in heaven. Uh, if you want to look it up sometime, I'll just tell you where it's at. You can find it in Matthew 6, 19. Jesus said, do not labor for the stuff that rusts, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that never rust and are never stolen. I have an account in heaven, and there's two things on that account. Number one, every dollar I've ever given to serve the kingdom is on there. They, if you could go there right now, they'd tell you the exact down to the penny how much money I've given into the kingdom. And what else is on that account? Every deed I've ever done to help anybody's on that account. It's registered. That's why Jesus said, I pro you give a cup of cold water to a little child in my name, you will by no wise lose your reward. And he said, he said, the reason I want you to give to take care of people financially and the reason I want you to serve people is it's being added up on your account in glory. I, I'm seeking this for the fruit that comes to your account. One of these days you're going to stand in front of Jesus. Don't get nervous. He's, he's real nice. You're going to stand in front of Jesus and uh, he's agreed to do two things. Why don't you listen to him? Number one, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Stand in front of Jesus. He's going to say, there's the man who never sinned. Is that not what it says? You say, how can he say that? Look at the cross. But guess what else He says, God is not unjust to forget your labor of love and the things you have done to serve his people. He's going to remember in that moment everything I ever did to help somebody. Who would not want to serve a God that can never remember anything you've ever done wrong and can never forget anything you've done to help people and thank you for it? That's your account in heaven. And uh, there's another surprise, verse 18, concerning money. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full. I received from Epaphroditus. He carried the money. The thing sent from you, what's this? A sweet-smelling aroma, 
an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. I thought he gave the money to Paul. Get it? You telling me God sees it when I give somebody something? Right there it is. He sees it and he, what does he call it? He calls it a sweet-smelling aroma that pleases him. You, you just, I mean, pull out $10, give somebody something, help somebody do something, and he smiles and looks at Gabriel and says, that's my boy right there. That's my girl right there. How would you like to bless and please the heart of God? Do something. There it is. All right, let's wrap up with the great verse, verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What you going to do with that? Did you know it's impossible for me to fail financially? Listen, we all need money. My finances are not tied to the U.S. economy if I pursue the kingdom. Tell me what verse 19 said right there. I don't get paid out of the U.S. Treasury or out of the bank account at the Lamb's Chapel Church. I get paid directly out of God's bank account. He will supply all your need according to the cash he's got on hand. Is this good news or what? So I'm going to sleep and quit worrying about it. This is good news. Now, let me give you, we got time to give you a quick illustration of how this works. I personally, I think we're headed for financial destruction in our nation. I think it's pretty much inevitable now. I don't think it's in the next year or two, but I think it's coming. At best, I think we're in for tough times. Uh, we were shaky to start with, and guess what we found out in 2020? One little bug can rock your world financially as a nation. And we're on shaky ground. And uh, the reason we are is not because we've made bad decisions financially. It's not because of the Democrats or the Republicans. It's because this nation has put its fist in God's face and told him to get out of it. And he did it. And with him went his pocketbook. I don't know if you know the history of the Bible or not, but if you study the history of the Bible, anytime his people put their fist in his face in rebellion, what's the first thing he always grabbed? Their pocketbooks. Go back and read it over and over. I'm going to give you one incident, and I'm going to show you the goodness of God to take care. You say, Brother Brown, I, I'm not, I love God. I want to honor him. I want to serve him. Oh, there's a place in his heart just for you. Rest assured. If you go back in the Old Testament, there was a man named Elijah. He was the prophet in the day when Israel was, had decided that God had been good to us, but we don't like him anymore. So they began to worship false gods, and they began to sacrifice their children to demons. You say, how awful. What are we doing in this nation? And they really... I don't know any other way to say it. They hacked him off. Not because they made a mistake, but because they made it over and over and over and refused to repent. And with a heavy heart, he said, then you brought judgment on yourself. And his judgment was financial failure. And the nation collapsed financially, and it was bad. They were starving. It was bad. Elijah, whose name means, my God is Jehovah, he chose to follow God, God said to him, go pronounce judgment. Listen, he does not delight in judging his children. He doesn't even take delight in the death of the wicked, his word says. All right, so judgment comes on Israel. But he said to Elijah, now, son, you go out into the national park. You'll find a river. It's named Kidron. Put up your tent, build your fire, put your sleeping bag in there, and you live in the national park, and you drink water out of that river. I'm going to deliver bread and meat to you by the ravens every morning. Every evening, they'll be back with your supper. And you just enjoy the park. Have fun in the wilderness. I know you're an outdoorsman. You're tired of people anyway. Go on out there and enjoy your life. 
Live in the wilderness, live under the trees, enjoy my nature, enjoy your food, and I will supernaturally provide for you as long as this drought lasts. Tell me to move into a natural park and live beside a river and you'll feed me every day. Is that great? Well, that doesn't appeal to some of you, but some of us it would. Was God faithful? Six o'clock every morning. Whoa, whoa, there they came. <laughs> Set it right down there. I mean, every evening he'd look at his, I guess he had watches. He'd look at his watch. Oh, there they came. Day after day after day. Y'all, that is in the Bible. Does anybody in the Bible? That's in there. Question. Why is that in the Bible? I don't care if the nation collapses. You put me first in your life. I will supernaturally provide for you and your family every day and I will not stop. Don't worry about the money. Worship me. You follow me and all will be well taken care of. I promise you it'll be there. And the Bible said the brook did not dry up and the birds did not fail to bring him meat and bread. How would you like for God Almighty to supernaturally pay your bills and everybody going, I don't understand that. And you just smile and say, he's good. He's good. All right, Lord Jesus, I, I, I love you and pray. You're just wonderful. But you mean business about this stuff. Our nations, we've made a terrible mistake by worshiping money You told us we were supposed to love people and use money to help people. Somewhere we got screwed up and we started loving money and using people to get it. I just pray, I don't understand it. It's a terrible mistake, but I praise you and thank you that your word is so clear that you have kept for yourself a remnant and you've called your people. And Lord Jesus, there are people sitting in this room tonight, people listening, watching out there. We've decided that money is not our God. We've decided that the face of Jesus is far more valuable than anything money can buy. And like George Beverly Shea, when he repented and got off the radio and started running with Billy Graham, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I want to praise you and thank you that as a young man, I thought, if, well, if I answer this call to preach, I won't never have no money. Good gracious, I got more now than anything I could have made any other way because you're faithful. Thank you. I pray over every person in this room, set their hearts at rest that they will only find contentment in you. And once they've found their contentment in you, their pocketbooks will be well taken care of until Jesus gets back to this earth. Thank you for your promise and your goodness. We love you. All of our hearts can't wait to see you face to face. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.